This is the last installment of a series entitled Transformers. And no, it's not about some strange creatures that morph into different things. But maybe it's about a strange creature like myself by the power of God and by the proper application of a few principles of biblical truth and the employment of a few verbs in my life, some things that I do in response to God's word. Maybe it is about a strange creature like me morphing into more of what God wants me to become. What do you think? And, and so they, these eight verbs we've gone through, uh, I suggest that they can transform your life and your world. And uh, if properly implemented, we talked about, and we went in depth, I'm not going to re-preach the series, but sit, commit, go, grow, throw, activate, assist. And today the last one is abide, abide. Let's read this text of scripture together. Uh, it's long and, 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 and we'll, these are our three taglines here, our points, purpose, process, and proximity. Uh, let's read together from John 15, 1 through 8, and uh, then we'll move forward. You ready? Yes. There it is before you. There's three, there, I think there are three slides here, so we'll keep moving right on through it. Let's read together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Amen. Abide. Um, that word has almost an archaic, an old kind of an old school feel to it. I, we, we don't use that word as much uh, I'm just going to abide at Grace Chapel. I'm going to abide in this seat until you come back. We say stay or whatever. So it has kind of a, it has kind of a biblical flavor to it because it's a word that's slightly out of the ordinary of, of, of prevalent modern usage. We may talk about abiding by the rules or abiding by an agreement, but in the sense we're using it today, it's a little, it's a little, a little off-center, which, which allows us to approach it with some fresh eyes. It's one of those words that may seem a little out of place in certain settings, uh, because we would tend to opt for a simpler word like stay. Uh, but it's like stay with this, this, this New Testament biblical aura to it, if you know what I'm saying. It is it abide. It, when I think of that word, I do think of Jesus. I think about, uh, about, about the Bible because I think of this passage, which is so familiar to us. How about you? Amen? And I remember when I was, um, this was years ago, when I took uh, 12 What's, at Fuller Seminary, the, the Greek is offered in this one 12-unit class, 12 units, which is three quarters in one quarter. So you go like all day for four days a week, and you get through basically all the Greek you would need for an, uh, I didn't earn an MDiv, but for an MDiv, an under, uh, for a, a Master of Divinity, the whole you know, deal. And it was pretty grueling. But I remember the early days, and I remember the process of, and, and when you study Greek, when you study biblical Greek, there are certain things you go through. There's, there, there's the vocabulary, and there's the grammar, and there's, the vocabulary is, is usually memorized like this. It's like there are uh, these lists of words uh, this guy named Metzger uh, put together years ago, the scholar. And so this starts with the list of the most common words, so they're by frequency of use, and there's one group. And so you basically end up with a lot of flashcards, and you start memorizing pretty much smaller and simpler words that are used a lot in the Greek New Testament. And I remember this particular word because it was one of the first words I memorized. 
And then I, not long after that, heard a preacher misuse it in a sermon because he did not know Greek. <laughs> so that was pretty novel. I said, it's, that's the value of going to school, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the, the word was meno. It would be translated, transliterated into English, M-E-N-O, meno. And that's the word here in the Greek. It means abide, remain, stay. That's the lexical definition. Any Greek student that's memorized the word meno, they will, if you say, what does meno mean? It was to abide, stay, or remain. That's what it means. That's the word here. Meno, to abide, to stay, to remain. This word is used 11 times in John 15, um, 40 times in John's gospel, and 27 times in John's epistles. So it's an important word to John, and it's an important word about our relationship to Jesus and our relationship to the church. Uh, Before we get really to the abide part, though, there's a bigger context of this involved here that, that, that that begins in, in verses 1 through 3. And Jesus is setting us up to understand what, how we abide and what we're abiding in or to by giving us this analogy of the vine and the branches and the process of the skillful vine dresser cutting back a vine in order to bring out maximum fruitfulness. And this message here conveys to all of us a, a strong uh, uh, concern about these three words, and I, I want to use three words to move forward. There's number one, purpose, process, and proximity. Can you say that? Purpose, purpose. Process, process, proximity. proximity. Purpose, process, proximity. Proximity. You need some more water there. You know what I'm saying? So, that, so, so the first thing that emerges in this, in, in this, in this text here is the issue of, of purpose. Uh, and let me... Back up and let's put it to you like this. There was, it was some time ago, there was a, uh, a video in, in German. And no, I don't know German. It was, it was a funny video. Uh, and you wouldn't have needed to know German to get the point. Uh, this young woman has given her, her dad uh, a, a new iPad. And she asked her dad how he is enjoying, how he likes the new iPad that uh, she gave him for his birthday. And uh, he says, I, I, I like it good. It's really great. I'm enjoying it. And then she t- turns and watches him basically uh, using it as a cutting board to chop up his vegetables. And he, she's either further horrified when he rinses it off and places it in the dishwasher. And a cap- caption in English in the ad informed uh, the viewer that no iPads were harmed in the filming of this episode. <laughs> in real life, it, it is no joke when something is 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 repurposed. Something is used in a way that is inconsistent with its original purpose. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's tragic when 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 something costly. Uh, is used in a way that does not fulfill its intended purpose uh, or, uh, you know, and, 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 and or, or, whether it's neglected and not used or misused and used for something it wasn't intended for. And so in the text we just read together, Jesus is giving his disciples this extended allegory and he wants them to understand what God's purpose is in saving them. Why he has called them, why God is... God saves people like you and me. Why Jesus calls us to be his disciples. And he says, to get you to understand my purpose, you got to understand this. I am like a vine. I am like a true vine, the true vine. I'm a grapevine. And my father, God, he's the vine dresser. He's the, the old word is husbandman, which means he's like the farmer. He's the guy that, that does the work. And the disciples, I'm the vine and you guys are the branches. Now, this harkens back to God's imagery in the Old Testament where, where he refers to Israel as being a vine. But what happens is that Israel becomes at times an unproductive vine. And what we get by the time we get to the New Testament, what Jesus is really saying is here, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. I am the fulfillment of everything that they couldn't be because of their humanness, because of their, of, of their, of their failure. I came to fulfill all of the, the law that none of you and nobody has been able to fulfill in their own strength. I am the true vine. I'm the one that, I'm the one that, really, uh, that really conveys the life of God to you. I'm the one that, that is that conduit of divine energy to you. But you're the branches. And so if you plant a vineyard, I want to first of all suggest to you that if you plant a vineyard, you have a different purpose in mind than planting a flower garden. 
about time to plant some flowers, isn't it? Yeah. It's a different purpose. We plant flower gardens to enjoy the beautiful flowers. I understand the desert is in beautiful bloom in Anza Borrego State Park. I'd like to get out there, but I don't have like three days worth of time to take a half day to drive there and three and eight hours to get in and 15 hours to get back. But I understand the desert is beautiful this time of year. The flowers are in bloom. Those are not farms. They're, they may call them flower farms, but there's no produce there. There is nothing to eat unless you like to eat poppies. Or some of you, before you got saved, maybe did other things with poppies that you know you shouldn't have done. <laughs> but flowers are one thing. Vines and plants and food are another thing, right? In, in my backyard, I'm, I'm, in, I'm finding myself in somewhat of a divided state because I have, we've traditionally had flowers and that continues but uh, I've been planting a few things, a few edible things, like some, I, uh, some tomatoes and stuff. And I planted an avocado tree. Uh-huh. And I taught Max how to say avocado the other day. He, I said, this avocado, he said, I said, that's it. You got it. Make me some guacamole up in here, right? But I got an avocado tree. I got a little dwarf something citrus tree that Angie gave us. I plant, and we're going on, right? But I understand the difference. Those things are supposed to, now, if the avocado tree that I paid 50 bucks for at Home Depot, by the way, if, now, I hope, and I see little flowers budding at the top, but in two or three years, if all I'm getting is flowers, I want my money back. Because I didn't buy that for decorative purposes. I bought that bad boy because I like avocados. Haas avocados, the one with the, with the alligator skin. That's the, those are the ones I like. Mm, I'll eat one every day, you know what I'm talking about, Ron. I see, amen. And, and the tomato plants. I don't want to see flowers. I want to see some, I want to see some, I got some beefsteak and I got some little chair. I want to see some tomatoes on my table. I want something I can eat. There's a difference. And then yet in the front yard where the roses are, I want, I, 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 the flowers are beautiful. Bring me the flower. But you plant flower gardens so you can enjoy the beautiful flowers. You plant a vineyard when your purpose is to harvest a crop of grapes or a crop of fruit, Right? And so Jesus has this goal, and our goal, if we are to do that in our vineyard, would be to bear a lot of fruit, wouldn't it? I mean, I, usually you don't try to be a minimalist. I have planted this great vineyard, but all we want to do is generate about three bottles of wine a year, right? <laughs> I've got 40 acres of grapes here, and I've hired all these people. No, you, you, you want to get maximum yield. You want to bear a lot of fruit. And if your, fruit, if your, if your food crop is producing a bunch of flowers and leaves, it's basically failed. Jesus makes the, ver- the, the point clear for us, and he sums it up in verse 8. He says, by this is my Father glorified. This is, what, this is your purpose. This is what glorifies God. That you, that's me and you, as those branches that are attached to the vine, that we bear much fruit, and in doing so, proving ourselves to be his disciples. That's God's purpose for our lives, that we be fruitful. That we be fruitful. And so as we look at this word, abide, It has application to our purpose as believers, and our purpose is to bear fruit. Something, there's some produce, there's some product, there's some yield that is to come forth from our lives that God is seeking to gain from us. But I would ask you this morning, are you a flower or are you a vine? She's a sweet and gentle flower, running wild. (laughs) Really? Because sometimes it's, I think as Christians, we just want, we want to be, we want to be ornamental. We want to look safe. We want to be pretty. We want to, we want, we want, we want to, 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 to exude something, an aura, not necessarily of Jesus, but just, we want, we want a good life. We want, we want to have the trappings. We want, we want the look to be in place. We want, we, we want to smile. But see, vines bring another dynamic into it because I drive, I drive up like Highway 101 going to, in through Central California and you see vines, you see grape, you see vineyards. And you know what? They're not pretty. And I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like these, 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 these racks of things and these scraggly looking because something has gone. But, but are you a flower? Are you just, you know, and, and I know you, you know, don't get your metaphors all mixed up. Well, you know, I think we should all just blossom for Jesus. I, I understand that, right? 
But you get, you get what I'm saying? Is it all about the ornamentation? Is it all about the look of it? Is it all about the trappings and the feelings of it? Or is, are you a vine and are, is your life bringing forth something? Do you perceive of your purpose as simply looking good, smelling good? Are you an ornamental Christian or are you, bearing, are you a fruit-bearing branch drawing life from the vine? If we view the Christian life, as simply another way to have a nice life. Hello. As merely another moral compass, another way to find happiness among the many in the marketplace of ideas. If, if, that's, what we, if that's what we embrace Christianity for, we have missed the point. It's not that following Jesus will not enable you to have a, life, a nice life. It will. It's not that following Jesus will preclude happiness. No, there is no happiness greater than following Jesus and serving Jesus. But that's not the final point. God intends for you and for me to bear fruit. God intends that the outcome of your life impacts others in the world around you as the character of Christ is developed in you and displayed in your life increasingly day by day. God intends for you to make a mark on your world, for your context to be radically different precisely because you are there. Does anybody know that you're a believer? Does anybody care? And sometimes the answer to that is no one knows, but does anyone have a sense that something is going on and God is somehow at work in or around you somehow because of the fact that you're there and because of the fact of the way that you love and serve and the way that you, that you display the love of God? Something's going on here. What's up? Something different about you. I'm talking about fruit. What is the output, the produce, the crop, the fruit of your life? Are you growing in character? Are the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians? Love, joy, peace, kindness. No, not kindness, joy, kindness, joy love, and happiness. That's down the street. <laughs> they got it right. They added one, right? <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, pa- peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are they increasingly evident in your life? Is somebody's life different in a good way? Say it in a good way. Because you were or because you are there. Fruit, that's our purpose. Now, the question is, so we're getting to abide, but the question is, and there's a process that comes into play here. Jesus takes it further. He describes the process by which God promotes our fruitfulness. And he does that in verses 1 and 2. And we read it a moment ago. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, and that focuses on the true believers and followers of Jesus, he prunes. Why? In order that they may bear more fruit. So, Pruning is the process that produces greater fruitfulness in our lives. Talking about my garden saga. We've been living in the same place now for 16 years, which is quite an accomplishment. And uh, so early in our time there, we planted some roses. They're like four in the, you know, bushes in the front. And there's a bunch, several in the back. And uh, my wife has taken care of those pretty good till the last year or so. She got a little busy. And I noticed, I was pulling out my driveway about three months ago. And I looked, and I noticed that the one rose bush right behind the, the main tree in the front yard of our house was, had grown up through the tree, and there was a, a, a branch sticking out up above, at the top of the tree about eight feet above the ground. I realized at that point that there need, some pruning needed to take place. <laughs> I, so, a few weeks ago, uh, again, I began to get used to the feel of, of, of garden soil between my fingers. You know, 
Plus, the, the, after the rain, the ground was nice and soft. So that kind of helped. It was a good time to be doing what I was doing, right? But I said, hey, I got I to gotta prune these roses. And I watched my wife do it. And I always thought she was rather, I th- always thought she was rather harsh and rather uh, scorched earth in her pruning processes. Uh, so I, uh, I got my handy little pruny things, pruners, <laughs> and and rolled the big green container out front, and I went to work. A little bloodshed. Oh, yeah, I get stuck every night. Cutting. And I realized, and I had filled the container with clippings. When I got done, it just looked like several dried out, chopped up stumps sitting there. Stumps for chumps. I went in the, and I, in the backyard, did the same thing. Just a little dry, a little, little, in the middle, Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> in the middle of the, of the winter, some dried up stumps. But something interesting happened. After uh, several weeks, a little more rain and a little sunshine, guess what? So, several of those bad boys in the backyard are covered with leaves. And I see little new branches breaking out on the, the signs of life. I didn't kill them. Aren't you glad? <laughs> but no, I, 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 in cutting them back, I cleared off the, the, the dead wood. And, I, and there was, on some of them, there was actually dead wood. There was wood that was like, oh, this is like, there's no, there's no life here. And I chopped it off and I cleared it off. And they were, they were that, you know, it's like you and me, sometimes our, we got too much going in too many different directions and all of our energy is being sapped. And I can imagine you're just a little rose bush and you've got like 15 different branches and they're going out 12 feet or something. Uh, you're not, you're not going to bring out, I'm not going to see nice roses. I'll see roses, but they'll be like little raggedy roses, right? And we don't want no raggedy roses, right? But, but so in cutting back, it, it, it cut away the dead wood and prepared the way for growth and prepared the way for for expansion. And it's the same with vines. It's a, it's a skillful process by which you, you, you... And it's not just about trimming away the dead wood, but you're, you're also cutting away live wood because live wood has to be trimmed back in order for there not to be such heavy growth that the life of the vine goes in... The energy goes into the wood itself or into the vine rather than into the flower or the fruit. And that's what God does with us, Jesus is saying. He skillfully prunes us. I never liked this passage much anyway. I say, yeah, y'all say he is so. No, I'm just, you know what? Come on, you, you're, you're a Christian and you, you know, you're 20, 30 years old and you're sitting in church you know, back in the day and you're thinking about people telling you, you just blessed, you're going to be, you know, just, just go forth in Jesus' name. And the preacher gets up talking about that and God is pruning some of you. And I'm like, I don't want to be pruned. I don't want to be cut back. I don't want to be curtailed. I want to be, I want what they tell y'all on the radio, no limits, no boundaries. God says, no, it don't work like that. The only one with no limits and no boundaries is me. He says, but I'm going to limit you and I'm going to cut you and I'm going to shape you and I'm going to mold you and I'm going to work in your life so that you can do more and be more than you ever dream of being in your own strength. He says, he prunes you, he cuts you. Uh, cuts away the good so that he can produce in us the best. You, you understand the distinction? Jesus says to his followers that have come to him that, you know, he, he says, you guys are clean. I've pruned you. But as you go on and produce fruit, what the father's going to do is he's going to come along. Snip, 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 snip. You ever, you ever felt like you've been pruned? I, I was reading this. and I got, can I be, can I be honest? We hope you are. I started, I started to get a little choked up because I started thinking about some of the things in my life and I realized, okay, that's what that was. That's what that is. That's, that, that wasn't my failure. That was God's process. That wasn't my ineptitude or my incompetence. That was God working in my life. That was God shaping me. That wasn't, that wasn't someone's vengeance or someone's uh, evil at work in my life as much as it was God working through that and allowing whatever that thing was 
to, to, to prune me and to cut me back. Some of the things that I thought that I didn't deserve to go through, I realized that it was the pruning hand of God, not to hurt me or to harm me, but even though it's painful in the moment, but to shape me and to prepare me to go forward and to produce more and greater fruit, fruit that would be for the kingdom, fruit that would remain. I realized that and I started tearing up because I said, okay, thank you, Lord, for reminding me of, of the process and the way you work in the lives of people. Cuts away the good so that we can produce the best. And we still get into that word abide. And we're going to get there today. Within the next 15 minutes. But Jesus says, you guys, you're clean when you come to me. I saved you. I forgive you. I've, for, I've forgiven you. I've cleansed you of your sins. But as you go on, I'm going to continue to clean you. I'm going to continue to prune you. I'm going to cut things away. I'm going to clean. I'm going to clear the way for your growth and your flourishing. And so God removes things from our lives that would stunt our growth. God blocks plans and, and purposes that are contrary to his purpose in our lives. And we, we have to deal with it because sometimes we have laid it all out, haven't we? Sometimes God says, that's not the way that I deem that you should go. But he removes things from our lives that stunt our growth and he blocks plans and purposes contrary to his in order to move us in the direction of real fruitfulness. It takes away things around us. Think about it, if you ever read the book of Jonah, you get to the last part of Jonah and in the fourth chapter and it's Jonah and Jonah, you know, the fish thing, you know, the... the uh, I said, boy, that's really expositional preaching, the fish thing. And, you know, <laughs> well, I'm not preaching that text. <laughs> I'm just alluding to it. Okay, Jonah's a reluctant prophet. God tells him to go to Nineveh. He says, no, I don't want to go because I don't like those people. And I know if I go, you're going to forgive them. And I hate them because they're like not like me. And I'm not, a, I'm not your cross-cultural missionary. So leave me out of this, God. And God says, okay, I'll show you. <laughs> and, he, and he runs. He's going to Tarshish which I always feel like I have a lisp when I say, I do have a, sometimes a lisp, but Tarshish. And he's on this ship and God sends this storm and the, and the sailors are all pagans, but they realize God is mad at somebody. And Jonah said, okay, it's me. And they throw him overboard, a big fish eats him up, right? Boom, boom, boom. He prays in the side of the fish, Lord, help me get me out of here. It's stinky in here. And uh, the fish spits him up because he's so disgusting. The fish is there, you turn my stomach. He spits him up on dry land, right? So then Jonah repents. You know, he's repented in, inside of the, you know, and then he goes and preaches to Nineveh. And when you know it, man, doggone it, that God is, is always doing is forgiving people and like restoring people. And so the people in Nineveh all get, they all repent and he, you know, they put everybody on fast, even the animals, the poor, poor animals like, why are you doing this to me? I'm just a cow, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, so then at the end of, at the end of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the story in Jonah, Jonah is sitting off by the gates of the city and basically waiting to see what's going to happen and basically sulking, right? And so this, he's got this gourd and it, this gourd produces this plant. And so this is like, it's, a, it's symbolic of, of his little security blanket, right? And in this moment, okay, the sun is hot, so I got this gourd and I got this little shade and I'm here and I'm doing my thing, right? And then God sends this wind, this hot, it's the Santa Ana wind, so to speak, come and, and the gourd all dries up and goes away. And then he's like really, really, using an old, let's use an old school, he's wroth. <laughs> he's upset. And then God comes to him and says, are you angry? He said, yeah, I'm angry. I got a right to be angry. Because, you know, it's like what you always do this kind of stuff. <laughs> and and God says, you know, in the end, and I'm, so I just gave you the three-minute Jonah synopsis. He says, he says, should I not be concerned about this great city with all these people and animals as well? That's God. Because Jonah's concerned about his agenda and about, about his, his, his viewpoint and about uh, his bias against those people because they're sinners and because they're not, uh, they're not, they're not like him. But the, the gourd represents a kind of thing that, that you have in your life that, that you cling to, a uh, kind of a security blanket, a kind of, of, of placebo sometimes that we, that we hold to, something that we keep near us to kind of shield us from dealing with reality and shield us from, from really dealing with God or, or make us feel secure when we really are in an insecure place or make us feel safe and secure when God would like to maybe push us out into the deep to explore new things and to try new things and to, to live by faith. But God 
sends a hot wind. God takes sometimes those security blankets away from us. He takes those, those, those he, sometimes he will, he will demolish those support systems that are not of him that we rely upon to, to, to shield ourselves from pain in our own strength, in our own way, to anesthetize ourselves to, to the harshness of life. God says, you know what, well, you don't need that. You don't need the, that security blanket. You don't need those props. You don't need that support system. You need to depend upon me, God would say. You need to live more towards me. You need to look to me. And you need to, 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 to place your hope and your trust in me. And so he does that. He prunes. That's the process. That's the process. So the purpose, number one, is our purpose is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. And that encompasses our growth in character as well as it encompasses the output of our lives and service to others and the, the way that we live our lives in order to, to accomplish God's agenda in the world. That's the purpose. The process is pruning. The process on the road to productivity is pruning. And so God does have a way of, of, of cutting us back, of cleaning us up. Sometimes that is a little bit painful if you know what I'm saying. But the goal in all of this and what happens is that takes us to the issue of proximity. Uh, he cuts away the good so we, he can produce the best. It, this word proximity, see in verses 4 and 5, he says, this is where we get to the Greek word mano, abide, stay, remain, right? He says, abide in me and I in you. I, you, you ever, you ever they, all y'all really like deep folk, don't, don't, don't even, don't worry about this. But to the rest of y'all, you ever read that and wonder, what, how do I, what, what does that mean? I know it's just me, old carnal pastor. But I mean, you know, you say, okay, uh, you know, this sounds really, and you, you know, it sounds really, it sounds really religious. And then you think about the hymn, abide with me, blah, 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 blah. Jesus says abide, and I'm, I'm using the ESV this morning because it uses that word, but the NIV, I think, would use the word remain. Jesus said abide in me, and the sense of this, according to Leon Morris, is and as I abide with and in you, not that it's, a, it's not a quid pro quo, you know, hey, if you stay with me, I'll stay with you. You leave me, I'll leave you. <laughs> it's not that kind of thing. But it's like abide in me, and I will abide in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit, how? By itself. Talking about abide this morning. Now, those branches I cut off, I did not go to the green bin. They were there almost a week. I did not observe when I looked in there that, that, there, that any of them had started sprouting flowers in the bin. Ain't going to happen. I'm going to trim my peach tree and put them sticks. I hate peach trees. I grew up old school. You know what peach trees were good for when I was a kid? Yeah. And they make you go out there and get your own. But, but you're not going to find the sticks and the, and the, and the cuttings. That they're not going to. The fruit will come from, from branches that are connected to the vine. Right? So he says, you, you cannot, unless you abide in me, you can't bear fruit by yourself. He says, I am the vine. You get the picture. You are the branches. And here's the bottom line. Whoever abides, remains, stays in me. Whoever does that, it is he that bears much fruit. And in these words, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we can read those words and import all kinds of non-contextual meaning to them. I can't drive this car without you, Lord. He said, go and drive the car. The people next to you, they ain't. Drive it now before they're all self-driving. I am scared to death of that. I don't know if that car sees me and I don't see any eyes. But, but I digress. Apart from me, Lord, you know I can't. I can't. I can't. Prune this rose bush. And God says, no, that's not what I mean. This is what you can't do apart from me. You cannot bear fruit 
for the kingdom of God. You cannot live in a way that is pleasing to God. You cannot be the blessing to the world around you that God has deemed for you to be. You cannot accomplish God's purpose in your life on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing of any kind of eternal significance. Apart from me, you can do nothing to promote my cause or to promote the good of the gospel or to promote the church. You can't do anything for God without God. You can do church, churchy stuff. You can do Christian stuff. You can do religious stuff. You can work at it, but you can never do God's work without God's spirit and God's energy and God's involvement and without a vital and personal relationship. That's why he says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to abide. You've got to remain. You've got to stay connected. You've got to stay connected. You've got to nurture that relationship Once we've come to know Christ, once he's pruned us of our sin, once he's cut away the dead wood of our old lives, once we've established this relationship with him, we have a responsibility to remain in close proximity proximity to him. We have a a, a challenge to remain in relationship because we cannot grow and flourish apart from the life-giving and life-staining connection that Jesus is talking about. Abide. That's what he's talking about. So when we talk about, listen... It means to to, to stay in the game, to stay in the relationship, to stay connected, to do the same thing year in and year out, day in and day out, over and over again. In fact, let's expand on the definition of abide just a little bit. It also implies this, to depend on, to rely on, to wait for, to draw strength from. That's the secret sauce, folks. Remember Jack in the Box back in the day? Okay, you take some ketchup and put some mustard, mayonnaise in it and make, some, make something that looks like Styles Nine dressing. This is our secret sauce. Who cares? Hold it. Hold the secret sauce on mine. But this is your secret. This, this, is this is the thing. This is the secret. This is, you were talking about the secret? The law of attraction. Some of you, yeah, I, the law of attraction. I keep drawing the same kind of crazy people in my life. But this is, this is the secret. The secret here really is this. The secret is to stay connected to Jesus. The secret is to, 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 to lock up in that relationship with God and never turn to the left and the right. The secret is to stay focused on, on, on Jesus and on your relationship with God. The secret is to stay in fellowship and to stay connected because that's where the life is. And if you neglect that, if you let that go, or if you allow yourself to get turned aside, or if you allow yourself to get, get swayed one way or the other, you miss out on the life-giving flow that comes from that relationship. That's the secret. Stay connected. Stay in the game. Realize where your strength comes from. Jesus shows us what it looked like. Number one, we see that Jesus had, he remained in constant contact with his father. I had this tea in my cupboard called Constant Comment. I just tea, I mean, I just couldn't stop talking about this. Oh. Jesus just couldn't stop talking to his father. He just couldn't. Jesus stayed in, in, in over, in, 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 in just continual relationship. Jesus was always praying, always talking. You know why? Because God is always there, right? And that's why you don't have to wait to go to church to pray. People tell me, you know what? The eagle flies on Friday. Saturday I go out to play. Sunday, I go to church to. <laughs> you, that's not the Christian life. That's something else. <laughs> See, the Christian life is okay. So Monday through Friday is about work. Friday night, I get paid. Just got paid. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. Money in my pocket. <laughs> you know. And Saturday, then f- Sunday, I go to church to pray. See, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're an on-fire follower of Jesus, you realize, yeah, we pray at church. Because you know, sometimes your non-Christian friends, we say, where are you going? I'm going to church. They say, well, pray for me. First of all, we can do that right now. Second of all, you can pray for yourself. You can, you can ask Jesus in your heart and pray for yourself. But the other thing about it is this. We, don't go, we shouldn't come to churches like this. I mean, you know, I hope that, we, that today, for I love y'all. Y'all love me? Don't run me out of town, okay? okay. Although, although the Inglewood is like ends right here, so I can just run across. But uh, this is, I mean, if you got here today and you ain't prayed since last Sunday, God bless you. God help you. 
I need some better kind of soldiers than that up in here because it's like we, we all get this work done like that. Right? Well, if the, only time, the only time you pray is when you show up at, at the house of the Lord. If the only time you read the Bible is when you show up, at, you know, when the preacher tells you to turn to the text. And then, you know, and then you don't have the app after that. So you're just looking at your phone to make people think. That's the new thing, huh? I just look at my phone. I Google it, you know. So, but, but Jesus was always talking to his father. And, and you notice that Jesus took those deliberate steps to be alone with God. He, he would, sometimes he'd, be, he'd, go to, say he'd go to a quiet place to pray. Jesus put God in his schedule, put God on his calendar, put that in as a part of his life, as a, as a core component of his lifestyle, communion with his father. We've got to do the same. We've got to do the same. You know what I'm talking about? Don't wait till next Sunday to pray. You can talk to God while you're driving your car. You can turn down, you know, Steve Harvey can deal, do, do, do without you one or two days a week while you talk to the person that really matters, right? Since we've got so much time in traffic in L.A., we've got a lot of opportunity to pray. And you need to pray based upon the way these people drive, amen? And you need to pray based upon your temper and your attitude, Amen. Well, we, we can use all kinds of opportunities to, 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 to do that because Jesus shows us what that looks like. Howard Hendricks tells a story about this, this uh, small town in Texas, and they had this one school. And the, skirt, the school burned, this was years and years ago, the school burned to the ground, and 200 people died. And, when they, and the thing about it, this school had no sprinkler system. No sprinkler system. So what happens is, after this, we've got to rebuild a school. We're going to rebuild a big, beautiful school, but we have to, we're going to put... We're going to put a sprinkler system in it. So they build a new school and they put a sprinkler system in it. Some years after that, they said, we've got to do an addition to the school. So they went in and they started like, t- you know, tying into this building. And they found something about the sprinkler system that they had put in this school that had formerly burned to the ground that was now rebuilt and had the sprinkler system because the former one didn't and they didn't want to burn the school to the ground and 200 people died. Someone had forgot to hook up the sprinkler system in, in, in the school that they had built. So it was not... It was not you know, back in those days, I guess they didn't do the testing that they do now. So it wasn't connected to the water. So what was it? Can you, something less, either use or worth what? Useless, worthless, worthless, right? It was worthless. And no matter how much technology, no matter how much equipment you have, if it's not connected to the proper source... There's some things that need water to work. There's some things that need electricity to work. I don't care if you've got, uh, if you've got a, a $20,000 computer sitting on your desk. If, if they turn your lights off, you're in trouble. Uh, you know, because you're going to have to find power for the things. Well, I got a laptop. Uh, I was one guy, he used to always call it a laptop with a B. I'm like, dude, it's lap. You know, but what you do is, I said, and a laptop is good for a while, because you got a battery in that bad boy, and you got Wi-Fi, so you can get, get information. You can like, but you you're gonna have a problem a when your battery runs down and you don't have nothing to plug into, and b when you're out of the range of when you're not on Wi-Fi, and when you don't have any internet signal and you ain't got no no Ethernet to plug into, you have nothing. You just got a computer. You can play games and write and stuff and do some you know do some spreadsheets and and but you can't you know do the thing that you bought that computer to do, which is interact with the world around you and do the internet and, and gather stuff and download and communicate with the world, you know, and, and post uh, YouTube videos of me and Angie or something like that, right? You can't do that kind of stuff. You can't do anything but just sit there and wait till you get your internet back and wait till you get some power because now your screen is dead. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't matter how much it costs. You may have a Bentley sitting on the parking lot. I doubt that you do, but you may have a Bentley sitting out in the parking lot. I mean, just look at us. I mean, this, this is not. This, uh, <laughs> I don't care. This, this car cost me $400,000. I don't care how much it costs. If you don't go down there and pay three seventy-seven or whatever it is, a gallon for some gas down there. I know you don't go to Arco because you got the bit. You got to get the top tier, so, the top shelf. So you go over there to Shell. And, and if you don't, you just keep driving by them pumps and you're going to see how much your car is worth without some gas. Right? <laughs> Oh, without a battery. My battery's dead. Well, you're going to need a jumper. The most wonderful things tend to have the need of some outside resources to 
activate them and to empower them and to enable them to to do what they were designed and destined to do. And for you and I as Christians, I don't care how anointed you think you are. I don't care about your little talent. I don't care about how cute you are, how long you've been saved, how many choirs you've sung and how many usher boards you have ushered on. I'll tell you, the only thing that matters is this. Jesus said, without me, I don't care how much you've done. You can't do nothing. There's nowhere else to go. There will be no product from your life, no output from your life that matters without my spirit, without vital and constant and continuing. And you can't go on the connection you had last year. You can't go on what you had when you were a teenager, when you got saved, when you when you first came to the church, because you need you need fresh infusion. You need a relationship that is day by day and ongoing and that never stops. So it's, 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 it's imperative that we stay connected. He says, basically saying to us, I'm almost done. Live in, live in such a manner that you're at home in me and I'm at home in your life. Long-term, close, growing relationship with Jesus. Not as an afterthought, not as the, 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 the one off to the side of our lives that we try to squeeze in. Whenever we can, God, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get to you. you know, don't put God in your cats in the cradle saga. When you're coming home, I don't know when, Jesus, but we'll get together then. We're going to have a good time then. When I get finished paying off this Bentley, then I'm... <laughs> we're going to have a good time. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm get my prayer life together. When I raise these kids, uh, we, then, then I'm going to really get serious about the things of the Lord. When I get through this thing I'm going through, uh, when, when, I, when I work out this situation, I'm trying to work out in my own strength. Then, then, then Lord, we, we, we're going we're gonna to get together. Then we're going to have a good time. Then I'm going to be on my, I'm going to be, oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, Lord, I love you. I'm, I, just wait, Lord. Just, just, just wait. I'm, oh, I feel it, Lord. But just wait. Hold on, because I'm. I don't want to get too. I don't want to get too out here with, with spiritual things right now, because I'm. I'm trying to. There's this. There's this. There's this. 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 This girl I'm talking to, and then when I get that thing worked out, Lord, you know. Or there's this guy that you know I'm you know, trying to attract, and so I need to stay a little, little, a little carnal right now. So that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm getting. I am getting so messy up in here. <laughs> But, 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 you know, it's like, it's like Jesus says, but the thing is, while you are in that state of limbo, while you're in that, in that, in that space, you, your life will bring forth nothing of value for the kingdom, no fruit. And I'm counting on you. And there are people in your world that are counting on you to be what God has called you to be. So that fruit can overflow. It's not just for you. Again, it's not flowers, it's fruit. That fruit can overflow into the lives of people around you to the glory and honor of God and to the accomplishment of his purpose until Jesus comes again. In the midst of all the craziness in the world around you, God is looking for some fruitful disciples that will, that will live, live in this reality and that will, will, will allow God to produce fruit through their lives. So Jesus is looking at the overall direction of our lives. I know we, we're up and down and in and out and we have our peaks and valleys. But to know him as Lord and Savior means inviting him to live, move into our lives and take up residence there. That's, we're talking about abiding, remaining, staying, allowing him to make his home in our hearts and making our home with him. It's not just a passive matter. I've I got to wrap this up. Staying in proximity, staying connected. In closing, how do we abide Again, how does, what does it look like in practice? Let's see if we can get a little more concrete and a little more practical with this as we wrap this up. And I got a little help from N.T. Wright in, in, in finding words to, to convey this in a way that I think are, are helpful to us. And he writes, We must remain, first of all, in the community that knows and loves him and celebrates him as its Lord. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. Right, maintains, we can't go it alone. Some of you right now are saying, there he go again. 
talking that community connection church stuff. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Because that's the truth. I like the way Wright puts it. He says, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. Part of, and that's the trick, because sometimes we think about abiding in Christ. It means that we can do that in some abstract, abstract way. Sometimes the, 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 the way you do that was what you did today by showing up here and getting together with your brothers. Yeah. I want to abide in you. Well, then go where, go where my presence dwells, where my people gather. Be a part of the community that I have established called the church, which is my body in the earth. Because if you don't love the church, you got a problem with me, Jesus says. Because I love the church so much that I gave my life for it. And the church is my body. The church is my bride. I love the church so much I gave myself for it. And so he says, we can't go. He says, but we must also remain as people of prayer. Because the first is, is the way we do it in, in community. The second is people of prayer and worship in our own intimate, private lives. We must make sure to be in touch, in tune with Jesus, knowing him and being known by him. And uh, he closes with this, and and I think it's an apt close for us today. He says, and though it always hurts, amen, Amen. we must be ready for the Father's pruning knife. God is glorified, and so will we be, by bearing good quality fruit and lots of it. For that to happen, there will be extra growth that needs cutting away. That, too, he concludes, is an intimate process. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. Well, so as we close today, Jesus' words would challenge us to ask these three questions. The three questions are this. Am I bearing fruit for his kingdom? Am I joyfully submitting to his pruning in my life? Am I daily abiding in Christ, making him at home in my heart? Have I made up my mind that this is where I want to be in Christ, in the church, in the family of God? And have I committed to stay there and to move forward in that? Bottom line is this. This is the purpose for which God has saved you. My last words to you in this message message are this. Don't settle for anything less. Amen. 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 Amen.